Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Hi everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) No. Just in time for the longest day of the year, the comics from DC Comics for June 19th have arrived. It's time then to step on over to that interdimensional spinner rack somewhere in the DC Comics News home office where I am lucky enough to visit each and every week, give that rack a spin, and choose my top five books from among all those great published titles from DC Comics. This is the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is episode number 14, and we're going to get started by switching things up just a little bit and offering a different selection for my first pick for the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I've chosen a book instead of a comic book. Now, what book, might you ask, could actually take the place of one of those hallowed spots reserved for the best of DC Comics? Well, actually, it's a book by none other than former host of DC Daily, Jason Inman, and his book, Super Soldiers. It's a really impressive opportunity to look at something that maybe we have all recognized or been aware of on some level, but actually analyzing and researching reveals so many great connections that exist throughout the history of DC Comics, and even their marvelous competitors. In this book, Jason Immon does an amazing job by pointing out that there's this surprisingly high amount of crossover when it comes to camouflage and spandex. He then proceeds to go through all of the different characters that we have come to know and love in DC and other comic book companies, and look at why it is that a lifetime spent in service in the military 
translates so easily into a dedication, perhaps even an additional lifetime, spent serving, wearing a cape, a cow, or just pulling on tights instead of camouflage. I really enjoyed reading this book. I really enjoyed reviewing it for DC Comics News. And look for the link on this episode where you can go ahead and check that out and dig in just a little bit deeper than I'm able to on this episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. What Jason Inman does is take a look at some of the most popular comic book characters that we have come to know and love and not only study and reveal the history that they have and the military service that makes up their history, but also to declare some unsung heroes. This falls right into one of my favorite moments about the story, and that was learning about a character named Gravedigger, a character who starts out, as the term implies, a gravedigger during World War II. Ulysses Hazard has a desire to serve on the field in combat, but because he is an African-American soldier, he is denied that opportunity until he finally takes things into his own hands, and after proving himself, beyond the measure that most soldiers might have to, he is eventually able to stand on the field next to DC legendary luminaries like Sergeant Rock, who is also prominently featured in this book. I love learning about an unsung hero like Gravedigger, Ulysses Hazard, a man who simply wants the chance to prove that everything he believes about himself is true, and that it can benefit not only the people that he wants to serve by, but also the country that he wants to serve in battle, in combat, in war, because he believes he wants to, in many ways, be the best he can be, and also provide a, a sense of protection that maybe he believes only he is capable of giving. Now, this is a book that's not illustrated. So I won't be going into my favorite art elements, but I do really enjoy the great descriptions that are given by Jason when he's talking about these characters, especially, for example, Gravedigger, who at some point during his many, many uh, challenges and also uh, missions, receives a battle scar that is in the shape of a cross on his forehead. And that's really all it took for me to picture this character as suddenly becoming larger than life through that scar and the story of all of the things that were necessary in order for this character to serve and to prove just what it is he was capable of. But the fun didn't stop there. In fact, I was lucky enough to join our DC Comics News editor, Josh Rayner, along with DC Comics News and reviewers, Brad Felicki, and later, the always luminous Steve J. Ray. Talking with Jason Inman was a great way to dig beyond the book and ask some of the questions that are raised and that he isn't always able to go into, which was actually probably my only negative or less than enjoyable part about this book, which was simply that by the time you get to the end, you wish that you could keep reading. When it's all said and done, Jason covers 16 characters in 16 amazing chapters, and then at the end he provides this great honorable mention section where he talks about the fact that there are plenty of characters that were not included that he would love to include, but because of space, time, research, and other variables, 
they simply have the opportunity to be recognized as honorable mentions and characters that he believed were just as deserving to be featured in the book. I would have loved to have heard and read more about the research he might have uncovered with characters like the Unknown Soldier and many, many more that he lists in his honorable mentions. I recommend that you pick up this book so that you can read about this great history that exists for so many of our comic book characters and the connection that is made to a commitment, whether it's in service, at home, or both. And that's the reason I am more than happy to say that this book, Super Soldiers by Jason Inman, earned a solid 5 out of 5 for me on the first slot of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack for episode number 14, this week of June 19th. I'd highly recommend checking out my full review on DC Comics News and look for the link that will also allow you to tune in to that great podcast conversation that we had with Jason Inman and hear just a little bit more about everything he wanted to add to the book, but instead chose to very kindly share with us during our DC Comics News podcast. My choice to fill the second slot on the DC Comics News spinner rack goes to the Superman Year One, an offering by Frank Miller that's a really interesting take on the Superman story and starts out with the story as told through the eyes of a baby Kal-El. The art by John Romita Jr. is absolutely gorgeous, and this is a new origin version for Superman, one that looks at what it would be like if Superman was perhaps a little bit cooler as a kid, if a young Clark Kent was a little bit more confident, a little more self-assured, perhaps was king of the geeks and had a bit of a reputation, even though it was something that he and his father agreed, he wouldn't try to make into something that was bigger than himself or that used his extraordinary abilities to an unfair advantage, but one that allowed him to try and level the odds. Um, provide those outcasts and undesirables in school a champion. And this is an interesting take for me, and it moves right into one of my favorite parts regarding the story for this first issue from the Black Label title by Frank Miller. And that's the idea of taking the sort of awkward, shy, confused, classic Clark Kent character that we see in his adult and casting him in a different light, perhaps one who is more self-assured, one who is able to use his abilities with a lightly more balanced hand, and in doing so, provide just a little bit of leverage for those who don't always get either the respect, the recognition, or the fair treatment that it seems like they should be allowed, given uh, the democratic environment that not only the country we live in, but the schools that children are taught in would hopefully provide. There are some absolutely gorgeous moments right from the introduction of this book by Mr. Ramita Jr. The art is flawless all the way through the entire first chapter of this first of three books coming out from DC Comics and their black label for Superman Year One. I think it's really refreshing and also inspirational and it feels very bright and hopeful. And that's a really enjoyable way to experience Superman's earliest years 
and watch him as he moves into high school and develops uh, a blossoming relationship with Lana Long. Now, there is a negative that I'm comfortable talking about simply because I know that it's something that I've heard discussed by others on our DC Comics News team and that I've read about in publications that like to talk about the uh, release of these books and some of the things that fans can look forward to or should be on the lookout for. And one of those has to do with a situation in which a group of boys who have become something of the local bullies at the high school have continued to up their attacks against Clark's friends, the outcasts, the outsiders. And Lana Long at some point becomes involved in this when she takes pictures of those boys performing their acts of intimidation and violence. And when they catch wind of it, they trick her and then take the photos away. It's then suggested that and in many ways, appears that they are going to assault her, most likely sexually. And it is only through the quick efforts of young Clark Kent that she is rescued. This is a really difficult topic, but also one that in many ways is uh, not uncommon for anyone who reads the headlines. Even locally, in the past 10 years, we have had stories about events occurring with a group of boys and one girl and how unfortunate it can become when those incidents are actually taken really far and the consequences that are involved afterwards. While I felt this was difficult subject matter, I understood perhaps a need to present a more modern light to view Superman's challenges as a young man. But I also, like many of those on the staff and many other comic book fans, question the need for this type of scene to exist within a comic book story. I'm not the one to answer that question, but I can understand the argument and the desire to push beyond what has been accepted in comic books and also to try and bring comic books as close to the daily life that they in many ways emulate or try to rise above. I struggle with this scene and I don't think there's any right answer or right perspective on it. I do know that now that it's in the book and it's part of the story, I think it's important that it's read and that for those who fall into the younger mindset that there's an opportunity for it to be discussed and hopefully DC Comics News, Frank Miller and others will consider that and provide a, a platform for that kind of discussion and maybe also allow for the concerns that could be raised by this kind of scene to have a forum where those concerns can be raised, discussed and in many ways be used to help make decisions in the future about storylines that we want to make modern, but that we also want to consider the value of their context in relation to comic book storytelling and stories. And in so many ways, a beautiful story is uh, really the complete package. And this was a beautiful story through and through from its beginning to its end, as told through its words and as shown through its beautiful images and pictures. And while there are some dark moments, this is, I feel, a, a really bright jumping on spot for a lot of readers to look at Superman and what his foundational 
experiences were like, but also because one of the things that I find most interesting about this book is the uh, move by Miller, and I can't really put this into a favorite or least favorite, but the decision by Miller to have Clark Kent join the military and go off to become a member of the U.S. Navy. This is a, a very impressive and very intriguing delineation from the previous origins that have existed for Superman, and I can't think of another one that included his military service of any kind. And I'm curious to see where this goes. For all these reasons, I am more than happy to give Superman Year One by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. a 4.5 out of 5 for the second slot on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Now, the book that took slot number three on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack this week for me was Lucifer Number no. 9, written by Dan Waters and illustrated by Kelly Jones. I really enjoyed this story. Uh, the gastronomy lesson, as it's called, because it, it took a pause from all of the developing action, which at the moment includes Lucifer trying to find a place for his recently resurrected former lover, Sikorax, before her time on Earth is through a 72-hour window imposed by the heavenly host. And that led him first to the Egyptian underworld, and now while he is seeking a new place for Sikorax to find refuge, we pause in this story of the gastronomy lesson to see the character of Caliban, the child of Lucifer and Sikorax, who when we last saw him had left behind his mother after frustrations that she was choosing to spend many of her remaining hours with a coven of international witches instead of with her only son. As he did leave, he was tempted by the heavenly hosts with an offer for eternal life in paradise. But in this story, we see him coming across a Lord Fowler, who is, as he claims to say, a hunter, and one who believes that he has purchased, which is an interesting thing for a hunter to do, a creature of the underworld, a demon who is so badly damaged it is revealed that he can only repeat the word Lucifer over and over again. It's really easy for me to drop into all of my favorite moments about this book, because for me, this was a really classic horror story. I've heard it once said that there are only two tales, a man goes on a trip or a stranger comes to town. In this case, the stranger who comes to town is a stranger who is also on a trip. Caliban visits Lord Fowler because he wants to find out information about this demon or whatever information the demon might have. And Caliban knows that Lord Fowler is someone who enjoys winning. So he offers the opportunity to trade his life for that of the demon should Caliban find himself unable to get the information that he desires. What moves next for my favorite story moments is the direction of the story and its movement from this agreement to Lord Fowler's departure and later arrival, and to the meal that Caliban serves, which is made up of all of the many pieces that used to make up the demon. Essentially, he has killed this demon and turned it into a many-course meal, starting out with an appetizer of some demon tartare and some crackling skin, and moves on to all of the other delicacies, which 
by ingesting them, Caliban reveals to Lord Fowler that there are many clues about not only who this demon was, where it came from, how it came to be in the state that it was, and how all of this information is available through each course that they devour. It's a very grotesque and somewhat disgusting approach to analyzing a demonic creature, and yet the way Caliban makes it feel so civilized, it's almost an affront to this very uptight, prudish, and highly self-regarded hunter and lord who goes by the name Fowler. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. I will reference something that I got to say when I reviewed this comic book for DC Comics News, which is that great line that when you dance with the devil, the devil doesn't change, the devil changes you. And later, we get a chance to see, not only through the story, but through the great visuals by the uh, illustrator of Lucifer 9, the transformation that occurs to Lord Fowler when he gets far enough into this meal to realize just what it is that Caliban has been doing all along. When it comes to a negative or negative elements on the story or art side for this issue, I really struggled. I felt that so much of it was a great homage to all of those classic horror stories, dating all the way back to the legendary Edgar Allan Poe and to the predecessors who inspired him. And with all that in mind, it was really easy for me to give this book, Lucifer number 9, a 4.5 out of 5. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you feel like what I've told you has piqued your curiosity, you're also welcome to read my review on DC Comics News for Lucifer number 9. But once you've picked up the book and given it a read yourself, I'd love to hear your score. This is the third book I've mentioned for the DC Comics News Spinnerack and given my score for each one. The best part is hearing your scores and listen for the end of this episode when you can hear all the ways that that's possible. For the fourth slot of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, I went ahead and chose Justice League 26. I really enjoyed all of the things that have been going on with this story, and I was, of course, for my own reasons, intrigued simply because this was the book that follows the seminal or monumental book of issue number 25, an issue that included two storylines brought to the close, one of them while starting a second and providing a challenge facing the team now that they're back on Earth, which is what happens if the world decides that fighting for the right and the good is just too hard, and that instead the offer made by the Doom Patrol and their leader Lex Luthor to choose Doom is one that is simply an option, either too good to pass up or one that they're finally willing to try after seeing all the times that good has conquered evil only to see evil come back and rear its head once again. When it comes to this book, James Tynan IV, who I will always thank the ability to say his name correctly to my fellow writer-reviewer Steve J. Ray, who really introduced to me just how well this gentleman has taken this storyline. And what we see in this follow-up to that big issue number 25 is what happens when you have to do more than just fight when you have to actually make a plan on how you're going to fight back and for that not only does the team reach out to the many different multiverses but there's also a difference of opinion on how to approach this which is the story of martian manhunter 
on his own quest to see how he can bring about a resolution based on something he believes might be the real answer. This issue starts out with a great moment where Superman is greeting so many different Justice Leagues from all the different multiverses, and we get to see a Jon Stewart who appears a bit out of sorts, a bit out of his element, while a very comfortable and relaxed Flash who points out that he's worked with many of these different multiverses and met so many of the different versions of the Justice League who exist in them, that he's rather comfortable with these, what he feels are now common gatherings of members of the multiverse. Superman, the Justice League, and the World Forger lay out their plan and provide what they feel is a fighting chance to come out on top versus the Legion of Doom and Perpetua. I also love on the story side how we get to see the ways preparation are taking place. Visually, this is demonstrated with like Blue Beetle crashing through glass while Mira and Hawkgirl walk along and then take in the quickly made hole in the wall that allows them to peek in at the training sessions being held by Hawkman and Black Canary. This is something that shows that the team is trying to do everything it can to prepare itself for whatever might be coming. But just what that threat and danger might be is something that they're only beginning to uncover as the side story of the Martian Manhunter seeking out his own answers leads to a dark and mysterious house and what appears to be a trap. What's it going to eventually be? Well, the story leaves off before we have a chance to see how either of these two storylines will conclude. However, what they do provide is a great way to move forward after issue number 25, and a great introduction to how it is the team is looking to prepare for those challenges, and all the different ways it, it might be either thinking outside the box, or perhaps its own universe, and to the larger multiverse, as a way to find and hopefully achieve some form of success against the rising threat of Perpetua and the Legion of Doom. Now, my only real negative is going to show up right around page 15, 16, when Mira and Hawkgirl discover Starman has collapsed, and he's being attended to by Jaro. Jaro is a version of Starro, and for me to go any farther beyond that would do a disservice to all of the great writing that Tynan has brought to this story. Let me simply say, Jaro is a great character, and if you've been reading along, you know this, and if you haven't, once you pick up this book, you'll get to see just why it is that I would have loved just a little bit more attention to be paid to this scene between Jaro and Starman, and to better understand just what the risks are for Starman, since the cover of this issue suggested the possibility that he might be facing a either planned or unexpected demise. This was a great follow-up to issue number 25, and one of the many reasons why I'm happy to give it a solid 4 out of 5. I think it's really difficult to nail a 5 out of 5 on an issue 26, 51, 76, or 101. But I do feel that earning a solid 4 is a way of letting your readers know, and all of those fans who hear about it, that... It's always difficult to match the success of the issue that came before, especially when it is so monumental. And yet, knowing that and still giving your all 
can always make for a great performance, which is what I think this 4 out of 5 represents. For the fifth and final spot on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, I've gone ahead and chosen Batman number 73, written by Tom King and beautifully drawn, illustrated, crafted by Mikkel Janin or Janin. I hope one of those is a correct pronunciation. And if someone out there can give me the correct pronunciation or tell me how I'm doing it wrong, I am always willing to learn how to do it right. When it comes to Batman number 73, I think so much about this book is all about doing it right. And that's why I'm so happy to end this episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack with Batman number 73. What's been going on up to this point is a 72-issue storyline that's due to end around issue number 85. Crafted by Batman writer Tom King... And part of a long-term story that has brought us to a place where Thomas Wayne, a character who no longer lives in the current Batman storyline, but who in other storylines has pulled on the cowl and become a dark version of Batman, is working in cahoots with Bane. We saw in issue number 72, if you've been following along, and if you haven't, then I'm providing just a little bit of backstory, that Bane defeated Batman, and afterwards, Thomas Wayne collected the Broken Bat. Now, in this story, The Fall and the Fallen, part four, we find ourselves listening to Thomas Wayne, or reading how Thomas Wayne is singing Home on the Range, while dragging a coffin behind a horse through the desert, his son, Bruce, hanging over the back of the horse, more like a prisoner or a knapsack. And whether it's in the dark of night, lit by firelight, or in the blinding glow of day, when Thomas Wayne is attacked by protectors of the desert, the story is just beautifully presented against this gorgeous backdrop. It's almost like having a setting for a movie that includes a beautifully lit starry night sky and then always changing the perspective of that night sky as it reflects on the story. In so many of the best moments in this story, Batman and Thomas Wayne are traveling to a destination with a casket that is part of a desire by Thomas to reunite the family. On the story side, I love that this is a mystery that feels like it's given just enough answers to help the reader, myself, understand what's going on, but also leave just enough unexplained and misunderstood to provide questions about just what could really happen once this potential reunification occurs and just what this step in the larger plan by Thomas Wayne might actually lead to. On the art side, Mr. Janin, Mikhail Janin, does an amazing job using light and shadow to make these beautiful scenes of this story just really sing and stand out, whether it's the nighttime sky lit with stars, again, the bright lights of the daytime, the flickering shadows of firelight, or this sort of dreamy twilight of purple and pinks 
And then later, the blazing oranges of the burning sunrise and sunset. So much of this book is just beautiful to look at. I've already flipped through it on at least one occasion without trying to read the words and just taking in the pictures. And I find that if for some reason the words have been left out, this would still be just a beautiful, picturesque book. And that so many parts of the story would be lost but yet the reader's eye would continue to follow these gorgeous shapes and colors because of the way they just capture it. Um, my eyes struggle to pull themselves away from Batman number 73. I hope you have the same experience, and I'm enjoying the way that so often so little is necessary as far as explanation, and then when the explanation comes, it feels like it's a tidal wave, like it's such a torrent of information revelation and development. I really struggled to find any negatives in this story because in many ways, in order to fully enjoy all of the things that Tom King and the artists he's been paired with are able to accomplish on this Batman title, I find myself trusting more than questioning. And because of that, I'm more than happy to give this issue of Batman number 73 a 4.5 out of 5 for that fifth and final slot on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Which means that has brought us to a close for episode number 14 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I've really enjoyed talking and sharing with you today about all of these great books and my scores for them. More importantly, I would love to hear your scores, and there are a number of ways that you can go ahead and let us know about that. DC Comics News is quite active on social media, whether you prefer Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. The at symbol and DC Comics News, or at DCCOMICSNEWS, is how you can tag me and us and share your thoughts on this episode or other episodes of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack and your scores for the top five books I chose or maybe a book you think should have taken one of these five spots for this week of June 19th. Also keep in mind, when it comes to listening to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack or the DC Comics News Podcast, we're available on all the major podcast platforms. That includes... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you haven't already, please head on over, subscribe to the podcast, and then rate and review. I think we're worth five stars. If you think differently, I dare you to give us a lower score and then provide a really good reason why. And if it is really good, I guarantee you we always want to get better. So we're listening, we're looking, and doing our best to make each and every episode the one that brings you back again and again. This has been episode number 14 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I love sharing my top five picks each and every week with you, and look forward to joining you next week for another edition of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Oh, and as always, like we say at the end of every podcast episode... Read more comics.